All right, so we left off in verse 5 of chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. I'm going to read um, down to verse 8. Here's what God's Word says. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke, from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So let me draw your attention back to verse 5 just for a moment. And we see that phrase, after these, what does your Bible say? After these, after these what? What does it say? After these things, as we study our Bibles, we have to stop and ask ourselves, after what things? What are we talking about? After what things is being communicated? And so, remember, what we are looking at in the book of Revelation right now are future events. In chapter 6, all the way through chapter 19, it is a specific future event known as the tribulation period. It is a seven-year period that will happen in the future on planet Earth, the whole world, where God will pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. I do not believe we, the church, the bride of Christ, will be here during any point of that seven-year period. And we're going to talk more about that in a little while. Um, In chapters 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned in those chapters, but we see that the church is in heaven during that time period, worshiping the Lord. And then in chapter 19, the church comes back with Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. And so what we've studied um, up to this point, we've seen God's judgments happening chronologically or sequentially, if you will. It began with the seal judgments. You all remember that, the seal judgments? Seven seals were opened by the Lord Jesus Christ. With With each seal... Judgment came on planet Earth. Once we got to the seventh seal, it introduced the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet now introduces the seven bowl judgments that we'll get to uh, next week, Lord willing. Along the way, there's also been some, you guys remember, there's been some commercial breaks, some intermissions, if you will, some parenthetical breaks where we are given more information and more insight on what is going on during the tribulation period. Our chronology began again last week at the beginning of chapter 15, where John sees these seven final angels um, with seven bowls of the last, the final plagues, the last of God's wrath. And then we also saw a snapshot of heaven. And who do we see in heaven? We saw the tribulation saints, a group of those who give their life to Jesus Christ, 
during the tribulation period, after the rapture, they give their lives to Jesus, end up getting saved, end up getting martyred, and they end up making it to heaven, and they sing this beautiful song that we looked at last week. And now John says, after these things, I looked, look what it says to me, I looked and what? I saw, what did he see? Behold, check it out, the temple, lots of T's here, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, right? In heaven, so that's the location, the tabernacle, the testimony in heaven was open. We're talking about the Holy of Holies, gang. That's what's opened up in heaven. Just by way of reminder, there is a temple in heaven, correct? Have we learned that? There's a temple. In fact, in chapter 11, if you're taking notes, verse 19, the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. How did it get there? I have no clue. Did the Ark get raptured also? I mean, Indiana Jones is still looking for it. It's in heaven. <laughs> the heavens open and the Ark of the Covenant is there. But also, if you're taking notes, in chapter 7, verse 15, we see that there's priestly service going on in this temple in heaven also. And also in chapter 8, verse 3, there's a golden altar that is also there in the temple in heaven. And you guys remember with me, in the Old Testament... Um, God gave instructions to Moses to build a tabernacle, right? That, that place of worship where the children of Israel would gather around, right? And so the tabernacle is in miniature of what's going on in heaven. Also, the temple that Solomon built, it's in miniature of what's going on in heaven. It's a picture of the temple that is in heaven. If you're taking notes, you can look at it on your own. Hebrews chapter 8 in Hebrews chapter 9. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that um, the earthly uh, temple and tabernacle were, they were copies and shadows of heavenly things. Does that make sense, y'all? And so prototypes in miniature of the temple in heaven. So in any event, John sees what? He sees the temple, the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven opened up. And then notice with me next in verse 6, what does he see? He sees out of the temple come who? The seven angels. They come from God's presence. And what are they wearing? Notice what they're wearing. They're wearing these shiny white outfits with beautiful gold belts or bands around them. And, and you guys remember all the way back, it was a long time ago, it was like a year and a half ago, chapter one, <laughs> chapter <laughs> Chapter 1, the Apostle John, right, exiled to the island of Patmos. Jesus shows up, remember, in a very similar outfit. And so um, these angels are connected to the Lord Jesus in purity and in purpose. I think that's what the connection is as we consider the outfits that are matching. Um, in any event, notice what happens in verse 7 with me. Each angel receives a bowl from one of the four living creatures. And you guys remember back in, what was it, chapter four, we were introduced to the four living creatures that are around the throne, these angelic beings, if you will. It doesn't say they could be cherubim, they could be seraphim, they could be some kind of a hybrid uh, deal between the two. We're not told, but they are glorious beings. And one of them now gives the handoff to each one of the seven angels. Each one receives a bowl um, from this angelic being. And what's in the bowl? What does it say? 
They are full of the wrath of God. And so we will see the manifestations of those bowls being poured out onto planet Earth in chapter 16. I would encourage you, read ahead. It's an amazing chapter. Um, Again, we're not going to get there this morning, especially at the rate we're going. Um, But notice, I don't think there's any verses or any words or phrases that are in God's Word on accident. In fact, some of you have been here for a while at our church. It took us 10 years to get through the entire Bible. And we went through every jot, every tittle. Some of you remember, we went through every name, genealogical records. I remember watching your faces. But I, think, I believe every, every, every word, every jot, every tittle is God-breathed. And it's important to see this phrase that's attached so, so they're receiving these bowls. It talks about God's wrath, but notice the description of our God. He is the God who what? Who lives forever and ever. He is the everlasting God. He has no beginning and he has no end at all. Moses put it this way in Psalm 90, verse 2. He said, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's interesting, when you study the, the, the term uh, everlasting, or um, you go back and dig a little deeper, it means from vanishing point to vanishing point. He's always existed. He always will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I want to point out something here. Um, God is eternal, but his wrath is not. God is eternal, but his wrath is not. Remember what we learned last week in chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read it. It says in 15, verse 1, John said, I saw another sign in heaven, and it's these seven angels that we're talking about, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues For in them, the wrath of God is what? It's complete. It's finished. It's done. It is over. In fact, God's going to say that in chapter 16. It is done. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, remember in his dying breath? It is finished. It's done. And so, God's wrath and judgment, let me remind us, it began in chapter 6 at the beginning of the tribulation began with the seal judgments, then went forward to the trumpet judgments, and then will go forward into the bold judgments. Those judgments will ramp up and get heavier and heavier and heavier. And I am still blown away amazed by our God. Because in wrath, he remembers mercy. In all of this, he keeps reaching out. In all of, all of the tribulation period, he's reaching out to rescue men and women from, from disaster, from judgment, and then from etern- the eternal consequences of rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, aren't you amazed at God's mercy? What does he do to reach a human life? Not only the Holy Spirit convicting of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, there's creation, we have a conscience also, go- godly men and women brought into people's lives to communicate the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. During the tribulation, 144,000 Jewish 
Greg Laurie's Jewish evangelists, Jews for Jesus, that will be preaching. Remember, there's two witnesses also that have this miraculous ministry during the tribulation that will be preaching the everlasting gospel. And if that's not enough, what does God do? He sends angels flying through the entire planet, preaching the good news, giving a warning over and over and over. God's doing everything he can. Because why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Ezekiel 18, God says himself, and it's so incredible to consider, he says that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Listen, I have to have a heart check on that. Because I'm like, I see some wicked go down. <laughs> I take, I'm just going to confess, pray for me. I take pleasure in that sometimes. But God sees one of his creation perish apart from him. He doesn't take pleasure in that. Breaks his heart. That's his heart. He's reaching out. Reaching out to rescue, to save. Why? Because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his best, he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. And so the handoff is given. Look at verse 8 with me. Once the handoff occurs, what happens? Now the temple fills up with smoke or with a cloud, and, and it says, what does it say? This smoke or this cloud is connected with both God's glory and God's power also. And we see that throughout the Bible, don't we? Do we see that throughout the Bible, y'all? You guys still with me this morning? We see it throughout the Scriptures. Remember when God gave the commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai? It says the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments. He came with fire and smoke ascended and the earth quaked. Remember when at the end of Exodus... When Moses finally finished the building of the tabernacle, they put everything together, and then what happened? When Moses finished the work of the tabernacle, a cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple that he built, remember what happened? Again, the cloud, the cloud filled the house, and the glory of the Lord pushed everyone out. And that's what's happening here. We're getting a, a picture of that same thing happening. In fact, it's interesting. If you look at Isaiah, I'm going to flip over there real quick. Isaiah 6. This manifestation of God's presence with smoke or a cloud. Isaiah got to see this. Isaiah 6, it says... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, these, these angelic beings, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried, to another and said, what were, they, what were they hollering? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken 
by the voice of him who cried out, and then check this out, and the house was filled with, what does it say? With smoke. And so as we come back now to Revelation 15, so the handoff happens, the bowls are given out to the seven glorious angels, right, dressed like Jesus, and then all of a sudden there's a manifestation of God's power and his glory with this smoke, and it says no one is able to come into the temple. Check that out. No one was able to enter the temple till when? Till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. That means the temple's off limits to everyone until mission accomplished by those seven angels. You know what that means? God is there all alone. No one's able to come in. His glory, his presence, it pushed everyone out. Wow, what? The temple, think about that. The temple is cleared out. All activity is shut down, closed, till the final plagues are completed. It's a pause, isn't it? Think about that. Why would God want to be there all alone at this time? I think his heart's, this is my own opinion, by the way, I believe his heart is broken. <laughs> that it's come to this point. Man's heart so hardened, so, so hard, the heart and we're going to see that when these bold judgments are being poured out, it says they repented not to give God glory. Oh, they knew it was from heaven, but they had no change of mind, no change of heart, no change of direction. In fact, it even says in the next chapter, they repented not of their deeds. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. But God's heart is broken. They kept hardening their heart and hardening their heart, just like Pharaoh in the Old Testament. And then it comes a point where the Lord says, okay, you want to harden your heart? I'll confirm that position. That, to me, that is such a frightening place to be. I shared first service um, years ago. I did, a, uh, I did a funeral for a woman the day before. She was uh, elderly on her deathbed, and I was trying to share Jesus with her, and she started cursing me get out of here, bleep, bleep, bleep with that Jesus stuff, get out, yelling at the nurses, get this guy out of here, and then she dies, and I have to do her funeral the next day. But so hardened. What do you say? What do you say at that? What do you say at a funeral like that? You know what you say? If she could say anything right now, I know what it would be. Do not leave this room without giving your heart to Jesus Christ. That has all the bases covered, by the way. Because God is merciful. Who knows what happened in her last moments, whether she cried out to Jesus or not, or one of the nurses came in and, <laughs> come on, <laughs> you need to get, who knows? Who knows? I'm praying that, that in her last moments that she gave her life to Jesus. You just never know. God is so merciful, isn't he? But here he is. He bears this all alone. Heavy. Uh, to me, it's heavy. It's scary. Listen, 
Are you, are you a child of God this morning? It is the most important decision that you'll ever make is concerning your eternity and where you're going to spend it if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Are you a child of God this morning? If you are, listen, if we are the children of God this morning, are we appointed unto wrath? It's not a trick question. We are not appointed to God's wrath. Will we experience the tribulation capital T? I don't believe so, because it is a time of God's divine wrath. Will we experience tribulation small t? Or is it going to all be like hold hands, sing kumbaya, life is... Didn't Jesus say something about that? John 16, Jesus spoke to his committed followers. Are you a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? then please listen what he says to you and I. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Jesus, why are you saying all this stuff to us? Why all this red writing for four cha- three or four chapters before? He's saying this to us. Why? That in him you may have peace. Do you have peace this morning? Do you have, not, again, not a trick question. Maybe this morning you've come and it's not an accident you're here. You have no peace in your life whatsoever. And the problem is you've never really surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are at war with him. You are at war, whether you realize it or not, going your own way, doing life according to your own will, following your own path. The Bible says before we came to be reconciled to God, we were his enemies. But then when we surrender, the Bible says we have peace with God. Amen? Anybody excited about that? There's no, the war's over. But there's times in our life, I know there's some of us watching the news, reading headlines, and right now you have zero peace in your life or your situation that you're going through. It's difficult, it's hard. Maybe the news you just received. Can I remind you of what the Apostle Paul said? Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And what's the promise? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, if you are struggling, lacking peace this morning as a believer, as a child of God, could I encourage you? Peace is found in him. Jesus, I've said these things to you that in me you have peace. The problem is we'd start to do things apart from him. And the Lord is saying, get your eyes back on me. Let's get connected again. Let's spend some time together. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. You guys ever get woken up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep? Has that ever happened to anybody but me on a regular? Not on a regular. You guys sleep all good. Pray for me, please. You know what I'm learning? I think, this is my own opinion, I think the Lord's often waking me up, telling me, Michael, now it's time to spend some time with me. 
It's the only time I can have quiet with you. You're so busy. Because it's good. You know what happens? You start praying, you start reading your Bible, and then all of a sudden what happens? (laughs) But it's like he just wanted to spend a little time. In me. Jesus said, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure, pressing, difficulty, heaviness. In this world, you w- does anybody have that on their promise calendar at home, their wall? This is one I like to claim right here. Jesus lets us know right up front, in this world, you will have tribulation, small t, but what? How should we, how should we respond? Like Eeyore's? Woe is me. Heavy tribulations. (laughs) Listen, we should be the most joyous people on the whole planet. Because this place is not our home. Life is like a, a puff of breath, the Bible says, like a vapor, like a wisp of smoke in light of eternity. In this world, you will have tribulation, but what? What does Jesus say? Be super bummed? Be what? Be of good cheer. Oh, Lord, give me one good reason. Why? What does he say? Because I've overcome the world. I'm victorious. I've done it all. It is finished. And I'm living in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's nothing better than that. Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so we walk with him day by day, moment by moment. We keep our heart and mind affixed upon him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It says about Moses, he endured. It says in Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith, Moses endured, check this out, as seeing him who is invisible. How are you going to endure this week? It's not by saying, I'm going to buckle up, uh, bootstrap, I'm going to tough it out, man. It's by looking at the Lord, looking unto him keeping your eyes upon him. Where am I going with this? Anyway, we we will experience tribulation small t in this world. We will not experience tribulation capital T. Why? The tribulation period that we've been studying in 6 through 19 is what? It is divine wrath. If you're taking notes, I don't have time to read all these verses. Chapter 6, verses 16 to 17. Chapter 11, verse 18. Chapter 15, verses 1 and verse 8. Oh, no, sorry, 7. Bowls full of the wrath of God. And then chapter 16, verse 1 and 19. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls all represent the wrath of God. That's why, again, I believe that the church, us, cannot and will not be here on earth during this time of judgment. Why? Why will we not be here? Because because you think so, Mike? Because that's your opinion, dude? Because the Bible tells us so. 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to go there right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. It's time to wake up, don't miss out. 
the B-I-B-L-E. Why are you singing? I don't know. I'm just happy. Man, God's word. Because I stand alone on the word of God. That's the book for me. You guys know that one? That's cool, huh? We're connecting this morning, some of y'all. Paul reminds the church of what happened in their lives. He reminds them what happened in their lives and then what the Lord is going to do in their lives. In verse 10 of chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, he reminded them in the previous verse how they turned to God from idols. That's repentance, right? Change of direction, change of mind, change of heart to serve the true, the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who is this one, even Jesus, who what delivers us from the wrath to come. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. It's because of him. He's in the delivery business. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Flip over there with me if you're still there, or it's going to come up on the scoreboard. Or big screen. Check it out, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us to, what's your Bible say? To wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, amen, I heard it. Romans chapter 5, flip over there if you're you're following with me, hook to the left from Thessalonians, go from the left, a few books to Romans, Romans 5. Verse 8, check this out. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Revelation 3, verse 10. Revelation 3, verse 10. Remember Jesus gave these report cards to the seven churches? Y'all remember this? And remember with me as we, just like like for a review, Jesus is giving report cards to seven different churches and yet at the end of each one of those report cards, at the end of each one of those letters, 
He says what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So we need to hear what the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is communicating to each and every one of those churches to see how it applies to us congregationally, and not just congregationally, but also individually as well. When, when, it, when it says, when you have ears to hear, let him hear, it doesn't mean, oh yeah, I hear you, Lord. It's, I take it to heart. It's, I take it to heart, I take heed to what I'm hearing, and walk in those things that Jesus speaks. And for some of us, we need to make adjustments. As we read through God's Word, He shows us those areas where it's like, I need to make an adjustment in this area, the way I treated that person, the way I responded, or whatever. Same way with these letters. The Church of Philadelphia, though, the church that I'm going to read about right here in just a minute, there is no correction at all for this church. And that's beautiful. I pray that we would be that church. Amen. <laughs> no, we, we want lots of correction, Mike. <laughs> we need it. And, and listen, we do get corrected, don't we? That's part of, if we weren't corrected, the Bible says in Hebrews that we're, we wouldn't be legitimate children. The author says, embrace that correction. When you're disciplined, God does it because you are his child. A kid without discipline is a derelict, delinquent, according to the scriptures. So we need correction. But what's beautiful about this church of Philadelphia, Jesus doesn't give any correction, just commendation, and to encourage them to keep on keeping on the direction that they're going. And it reminds me because God has opened a door for us as a church. Do you guys recognize that? I mean, 14, 15 nations around the world supporting missions, missionaries, starting works, planning churches. I mean, it's miraculous. God's opened the door for us to do that. In the assisted living homes, now in the prisons also, we have a prison ministry. We weren't beating down doors to do this. It was the Lord opened these doors. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, hey, do you need somebody to come over there and do this for you? No, no, no. It's like, okay, Lord, we're available we're down. You want to use us? Hallelujah. And what does he do? When you make yourself available to him, right? It's not about our ability. It's about our availability. I say, Lord, here's my life. It's yours. It's a blank check. You do whatever you want. Your will be done in my life. I'm just going to lay my five loaves and two fish into your hands. Right? Five loaves and two fish in the hands of the Lord is a great big dish. One little boy gave away his lunch, and Jesus let 5,000 munch. You guys don't know that song, though. What's the point? The point is, this church of Philadelphia wasn't a megachurch. We live in the land of the megachurch here. This church wasn't a mega church, mega budget, mega ministry. It was small, puny. Listen to what Jesus says. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. 
I know your works. See, check it out. I have set before you an open door. Yes. And no one can shut it. That's beautiful, isn't it? For why? For you have a little strength. You're puny. You're not a mega church. That's okay. God delights in using the foolish things, the base things, the are-nots. Why? Because then we won't be taking bows for God. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. It's Him. And we realize that. The problem is, is when we magnify ourselves in our own eyes. Because that's what happens when the Lord starts to use your life, use your ministry, use us. We start to think, wow, look how awesome we are. <laughs> look, at, look at, man. And it's like, uh, rut row. <laughs> it's the Lord. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any spiritual or lasting value apart from him. That, and that means, Lord, I need you. God, I need you every moment of every day. I don't have what it takes, but you do. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'll boast in my weakness. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong in him. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. And people sit back and go, wow, you're too dumb to come up with that one, Mike. You're right. How does this church operate? I don't know. It's the Lord. Again, what's your, what's your five-year plan, 10-year plan? I don't know. Follow Jesus. Stay as close as I can to him. And so Jesus says, you have little strength. You've kept my word. If you've been around here for any amount of time, we've kept his word. Ten years it took us to get through the entire Bible, and I was able to proclaim, and some of you guys are shaking your head, you know, I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God's word. The, the good stuff, the hard stuff, the veggies, the steaks, the treats, all, we've gone through all of it, haven't we? Because we need all of it, correct? Sermonettes are for Christianettes. We need the entire counsel of God's word. Jesus says, he commends them. Why? They kept his word. Listen, I want to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to say, thank you for keeping my word, for loving those precious people, my precious people, praying for them and caring for them. It's a big deal. I, some people have uh, no fear of God. They'll teach whatever they want. We're going to stick to the word of God. Jesus said, you've kept my word and have not denied my name. We bear the name of Jesus wherever we go. His glorious, holy, beautiful name is attached to our lives now. And, he's, and he commended them, you've not denied my name. You've held fast. In fact, he goes on to say, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie, indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. I'm going to deal with your enemies. Let me deal with them. 
because you have kept my command to persevere, you've kept on keeping on, I also, look at this promise, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Why? To test those who dwell on the earth. There is a global test coming to this planet. It is a seven-year period known as the tribulation. And Jesus says, you've kept my name, you've kept my word, you've kept my command to persevere, you've done everything I've asked you to do, and you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to keep you from, not during, not through, I'm going to keep you from that very hour of trial that's going to come. How's he going to do it? Next verse, look at this says, look what it says, don't miss this. What's the means of deliverance? Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly, suddenly. Jesus is coming for us, his bride. He said to be ready. In fact, three of the last four statements Jesus makes in our Bibles, red letter, is he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. I would say it's pretty important to recognize he's coming. In fact, we're going to take communion in just a moment. Celebrating, well, why do we escape the wrath? Why do we escape it? Because Jesus took the wrath and punishment and the judgment that I deserved and that you deserved when he hung on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He absorbed the pain and suffering that we deserved as he hung there, as he hung in darkness crying. that we wouldn't have to go and face the Father's wrath. The Apostle Paul said about communion, he said, every time we take communion together, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You ever thought about that statement? When we take the bread together, which symbolizes his body. He willingly gave himself to be brutalized. For you and for me, he kept his mouth shut. We take the bread, and then we take the cup, the blood, the re- it's symbolic of his blood that he shed for you and for me in order to institute the new covenant. The new covenant, Jesus said, in my blood, The new covenant, what does that mean? It means that we get to have a real relationship with the true and the living God. It means that miracle of miracles, he'll come into our hearts and change us from the inside out. It also means that your sins and your lawless deeds, God says, I will remember no more, gone as far as the east is from the west. Forgiven, justified, declared righteous. And we take the cup and we take the bread and we celebrate. We say, Lord, you did this for me. We proclaim his death. Until what? Until he comes. I believe you're coming, Lord. That's what you're saying. When you take the bread and the cup, Jesus died for me. He is alive and he's coming for me. He's coming for us. Amen. And so we celebrate communion together. We thank the Lord in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you so much. What else can we say this morning?
You've saved us, rescued us. You've given us life. Life eternal, life abundant. We didn't deserve it, Lord, by your grace. According to your glorious plan. Amazing to consider the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that you came, you left the glory of heaven. And you humbled yourself. Taking the form of a bondservant. Making yourself of no reputation. And being obedient. Even to the point of death. And we thank you, Lord Jesus that you did all that and more and you rose from the dead and you've made us alive. We who are dead in trespasses and sins, we're, we're now alive and we thank you this morning as we take the bread and the cup. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We rejoice in you. We proclaim your death until you come. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, search our hearts. May there be no unlove in us. For, for your word says that you've shed, poured out your love abroad in our hearts. God, I just pray that that love would be growing and flowing back to you towards others. And Lord, if there's anything that's blocking that flow this morning of your love, that we would leave it right now. Confess and repent. Make the adjustment that's necessary in order for the love that you've shed abroad in our hearts to be flowing from us. lives will bring you glory. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer this morning, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, perhaps you've been listening and you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally. You've never placed your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. It is not an accident you're here. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. He suffered, he died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he's reaching out to you right now. You come just as you are. You respond to him with your faith and trust in him. Is that you this morning? Can I pray with you if that's you this morning? Would you raise up your hand? We'll pray together. Real simple. Most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. Let me pray with you right now. Let me pray for you. Anyone at all this morning? Anyone at all? Father, thank you so much for this amazing family, your family. Lord, help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. We thank you for this special, holy moment together as we 
take the bread and the cup as you've asked us to, Lord, as you've told us. And that we would get our hearts and minds affixed on you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for first loving us. And it's in your name, your precious and your holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so the elements will be handed out. Hold on to those elements till after the song, and we will take communion together in just a moment.
breathe in your name the salvation in your name there's forgiveness in your name oh Jesus Lord Jesus For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet 
sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we love you. We thank you. May you be honored and celebrated this day. We commit the rest of our time to you now, and it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand, guys. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you.
to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away Thank you, Lord. God, you're so good. Thank you, God, that in your presence, all of our fears are washed away, Lord. We can look to you at any time. God, I pray that you just bless my friends, my brothers and sisters here, Lord. If we don't see each other again, God, here, I know I'll see them in heaven. So I just thank you so much for the work that you continue to do here in Calvary Chapel, West Houston. I pray that you would just bless, provide. God, most of all, I pray that you would come for us this afternoon while we're hanging out here in the parking lot. Just take us home. Maranatha, we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.